This is Archbishop Blaise Supich, Archbishop of Chicago. Today, I invite you to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Word on Fire Catholic Ministries is a non-for-profit apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization that utilizes media, both old and new, to share the faith on every continent and facilitate an encounter with Christ in His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire Catholic Ministries engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. This is an invitation to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. When our hearts are open, the Lord changes and transforms us so that we in turn begin to share the warmth and light of Jesus Christ, who is the Word on Fire. The global benefactors of Word on Fire Catholic Ministries, with the support of the Archdiocese of Chicago, now present Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, our first reading for this weekend is taken from the always fascinating first book of Kings in the Old Testament. Could I urge you, please, uh, when you have a chance this week, take out your Bibles and read the first book of Kings. You can read it in, you know, one sitting, a couple sittings maybe. Uh, it's adventurous, fascinating, uh, full of rich theology. So read First Kings. But we're dealing uh, at our liturgy with the story of Elijah and his battle with the priests of Baal. So these are the priests who represent uh, the false gods. And Elijah famously called them out and he defeated them on Mount Carmel, you know, the famous scene where they call upon their gods and he calls upon the true God and, and the true God answers with fire. And then Elijah kills all the priests of Baal. Well, we pick up the story now in the wake of that because Queen Jezebel, who is herself a advocate of, uh, of the false gods, is angry. And she sends her police and military after Elijah. So here's Elijah. He, he says, look, I'm the only prophet of Yahweh in the whole country. I, I'm one guy. He just took on the religious establishment and then literally killed them. And now he's got the army and the police force of the queen coming after him. So that's the setting for this story. Can you imagine the fatigue and anxiety he must have been enduring? The the police state basically is after him, and he's more or less alone. And so, understandably, upon coming to the broom tree we hear, he sits down and he asks for death. Listen, this is enough, O Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Now, here's the thing, everybody. I know there are times when everybody listening to me right now has felt just this way, has felt just beleaguered, just pursued, just hopeless. Whatever my project is, it's come to nothing. My enemies are, are surrounding me. And Lord, wouldn't it be just better if, if you took my life? That's where Elijah the prophet finds himself. Identify with him. Remember the times in your life when you felt that way. Then we hear that an angel touched him and ordered him to get up and eat. Suddenly there's a hearth cake by his head and a jug of water. 
When he finished that meal, he was urged by the angel to eat again. And then, strengthened by this food, he made his way to the mountain of God at Horeb. Mind you, watch precisely at the toughest times of your life for the touch of an angel. I don't mean this now in some cutesy, sentimental way. What I mean is, precisely at the toughest times, the darkest times, God tends to send help to us. Right? Angelos in Greek just means messenger. There's some messenger from God that will give us the sustenance that we need. Watch for it, especially at those times. We're meant to see, I think, a lot of important things in this ancient story, but what I want to focus on is the theme of spiritual food. Spiritual food. We're all acquainted, I think, with the importance of food in the physical sense. I'll tell you a couple of stories. Just a couple of months ago, I found myself, for the first time ever in my life, uh, in a hospital overnight. I had an appendectomy, and then there was, there was a little complication. There was a follow-up surgery, and I found myself seven days, a whole week, in the hospital. And for about three of those seven days, I couldn't eat anything. I was just being fed intravenously. What amazed me was how quickly my whole body just kind of atrophied. I remember looking at my, my arms and, and my legs and realizing it's like I was just shrinking away. I remember trying to get up out of bed and just cross the room to sit in a chair exhausted me. Well, that's what happens when you don't eat just for a couple of days. The fact that, you know, we all know where our next meal is coming from. None of us really worries about that. We don't attend to it of just how fragile we are physically, how dependent we are on food. The second story goes back 20 years, 19 to be exact. I was um, with a friend of mine in Europe, and we were doing a bike trip from Paris to Rome. And we, we really pushed ourselves. We did about 70 miles of riding a day. Well, I did fine until um, we got to the south of France. And one day, we'd been pedaling for about five hours. And I had the experience, which I had read about but never actually uh, experienced, of hitting the wall. I don't know if you've read about this in, in kind of extreme athletes and so on. It's the moment when your body just gives out. And it's not as though you just kind of gradually run out of steam. It's not as though you say, oh, I'm, I'm getting tired. I better stop. It's like a car running out of gas. It's you, you just stop. That happened to me. And I, I, just, I just sat down by the side of the road. We always carry with us um, some baguettes, you know, the French uh, rolls, the bread. And we had water, of course. So I just ate and drank for, I don't know, 20 minutes, half hour. And then I was able to get back on the bike. Again, what you realize is how fragile you are, how dependent you are on food. That in the course of one day, I reached the point where I, I couldn't go on. Okay. May I suggest that these stories provide a very exact analogy to spiritual health and spiritual eating. Though materialists, both ancient and modern, like to deny it, we know there's a dimension to our being that goes beyond the merely physical. We have within us an orientation to God 
we have a link to the eternal, what the tradition classically calls the soul. I know, I know. I, I grew up with the concern about dualism, and if you talk about soul, then you're going to denigrate the body and all that. And that's, that's all wrong. We shouldn't fall into dualisms and so on. Aquinas had it right when he said the soul is in the body, not as contained by it, but rather containing it. Does that make sense? It's a really interesting observation. And it means the soul is not opposed to the body. It means it's something greater than the body. It's the dimension that links the whole of us to the eternal. Okay, that's stuff for another sermon to go into exactly what the soul means. But I just want you to resonate with the fact that you've got this dimension. And the point is, the soul needs to be fed. Or it shrinks down, becomes weak, it atrophies as surely as the muscles of the body atrophy. Lack of nutrition and proper exercise in the spiritual sense will be as debilitating to your soul as those things are to your body. If we don't feed the soul, trust me on this, the soul will hit the wall when it's under duress. If you don't feed the soul aright, it'll become flabby, lethargic, unhealthy, and eventually it'll die from lack of proper nutrition. You know, there are a lot of people in our increasingly secularized society, I hear from them every day, who just feel lost. They feel at sea. They're unsure of where they're going. They've lost a sense of God. They don't readily hear his voice. Well, what's the problem? Can I suggest, everyone, it's not rocket science. The problem is they're not feeding their soul. So can I say a few words now about how to do that, how to feed your soul? First recommendation, prayer. Prayer. Don't think first and foremost of formulae prayers. Think of that ancient definition, to pray is to raise the mind and the heart to God. You know, we say at the liturgy, lift up your hearts, and we lift them up to the Lord. That's prayer. It's a conversation with God. Well, how do you pray? I've spoken before to you about the Jesus prayer, which I am a great advocate of. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the whole prayer. But now say that prayer over and over and over again. Just repeat it like a mantra. Let it enter into the rhythm of your breathing. Pray it for a minute. Pray it for five minutes. Pray it for a half hour. There's a book by Rod Dreyer out right now called How Dante Can Save Your Soul. But in that book, he talks about his spiritual director in the Orthodox tradition who told him, you know, I think it would be good for you is, is pray the Jesus Prayer um, 500 times. So he did. Prayed it 500 times. Went back to his director and said, okay, I, I did it. What's, what's next? He goes, now do that every day for the rest of your life. That'll change you, trust me. This steady conversation with God. You know, the version of that in the West, in the Catholic Church, is the Rosary Prayer. Said over and over again, the Hail Mary full of grace, etc. As a kind of mantra, spending time savoring the mysteries. The soul, by the way, likes to go slow. 
Here's a second uh, recommendation. Do some serious spiritual and theological reading. Think everybody of the junk that we put in our minds all the time. You know, TV and most of movies and, and then the junky magazines and all that that we read. Well, see, the soul is hungry for deeper stuff. Get a good book of spirituality, good book of theology. Read it. Spend time with it. You know, it's sad to me how many Catholic bookstores have faded away. Now, part of that is just the general fading away of bookstores, but it's also because Catholics now buy so, so little in that area. Years ago, they bought spiritual books. Buy one, find one, go to Amazon, get one. Here's a third suggestion you want to feed the soul. Engage in the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. Feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, visit the imprisoned, pray for the living the dead, counsel the doubtful, etc., etc. See, the divine life is mercy. What your soul is hungry for doesn't want junk food. Wealth, pleasure, power, honor. It doesn't want that junk food. It wants the serious stuff. It wants mercy. So you engage in the works of mercy. Trust me. Your soul will be fed. Finally, most importantly, and it brings us now around to our gospel for today. The Eucharist. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate man in the desert, but they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat it and never die. Do you want eternity? Do you want a link to the divine life? Then you need to eat and drink the Eucharist. It's really as simple as that. You have to take eternal life into you. Why do so many people feel lost today? Well, can I suggest at least part of the answer? 75% of Catholics stay away from Mass on a regular basis. Hmm. Stay away from the one thing that will most thoroughly feed their souls. Do you feel a little bit lost? Good question to ask. How are you eating? What's your diet spiritually? Feed your soul, everybody, especially on the Eucharist. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to The Word on Fire. My prayer is that each of us may be on fire with love for God and neighbor. Until next week, I pray that God will bless you and those you love.